Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm one of the communicators here at DHC. We are super excited that you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us here in South Florida. And it is, it's, you know, baking at 99 degrees out there at the Jazz Festival. Those of you who are going after service today, it's going to be an exciting time. Actually, it is. You should go because we have so much fun over there um, after service. We'll be out there today here at DHC. Anyway, before we dive into week three of this four-week conversation, talk, discussion, whatever you want to call this series that we're in, I just have a question for you. And it's a question that I want you to put in your mind and process here as we begin this conversation this morning. And then I'm going to bring it up later in the message. So just stay with me as we think about this together, right? How do you respond when things don't go your way? Think about that for a moment. How, furthermore, how do you respond when things don't go your way, or maybe they will go your way eventually, but the timing doesn't go your way? It doesn't happen when you want it to happen. Maybe it's going to be a long time from now. Maybe it will be never. How do you, as an individual here living in South Florida, maybe you're not from South Florida, maybe you're visiting from somewhere else today, but how do you actually respond when something that you want in your heart, something that you're thinking about, desiring, maybe have longed for for a long, long time, doesn't actually go the way that you want it to go? How do you react? Because the truth is, even as an adult, and we have an adult way to deal with things in our life, but a lot of us kind of respond like a child would, right? We go, wait a second, I didn't get my own way. I'm throwing stuff around. I'm banging my feet all over the place. If you're a parent, you've seen this happen multiple times, probably in your own house. Maybe you see it happen on a weekly basis. And furthermore, you know, one of the most interesting things about kids, because I worked with kids for many years, is they don't necessarily care when they get their way. They want it right now, right? They want it immediately. They're not worried about it an hour from now. They want things right now. What happens when God's timing and what's meant to be based on the creation of the world and the universe and all things in the world and the universe doesn't go exactly the way that we want it to go? Maybe those are little things in your life. Maybe those are big things in your life. But as we continue in this study of the life of David and what this looks like, we're going to talk about this today and we're going to dive into this today because the story that we're going to talk about today is so relevant to this exact topic right where we are at that it's going to hit every one of us smack right between the eyes. So don't miss this and stay with me and keep that thought about what happens in your own life when things don't go the way that you want them to, specifically in the time that you want them to. What happens if that doesn't happen as you see fit. Think about that in a little bit as we go back at the end of this message. But David, right? We're talking about this guy named David. If you've never been in a church before today, or maybe you haven't been in a church in a long time, odds are you've probably even heard of this man. Specifically, you've heard of this man if you've been with us the last couple of weeks because we've been talking about him. Because David is one of the most famous people in the history of the world. He's specifically one of the most famous people, if not the most famous person, in the history of ancient Israel, the Jewish culture, outside of Jesus himself. David David is a massive, important individual in the history of culture and society. So let's talk about what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. David was this person who God chose to be this next king. He was chosen by God 
as a shepherd boy. Basically, what God said to this prophet by the name of Samuel is he said, hey, Samuel, you are to go out and figure out who's going to be the next king after the current king. See, because Israel was set up, right, and they had their first king, and we'll talk about him in a second. So Samuel went out, and he actually, based on God's spirits and blessing and all those things that lined up, chose this kid, David, who was a teenage shepherd boy, an unlikely person to actually be the next king. And then we talked about this last week, John did. He's been doing a bang-up job up here, but David actually is probably in the quote-unquote Sunday School Hall of Fame, right? Because last week we talked about how during a battle, David walked onto a battlefield and should have never been able to do this, but actually slayed a giant. And that giant's name was Goliath. And last week we talked about the giants in our life and what they look like. Those giants that we have to overcome right where they're at. And how can we do that day in, day out, week in, week out? Well, as David slayed these giants and David became a warrior, David did some things in his life. In fact, David would go into battle with the Israelite army and he would be seen as a fierce warrior. In fact, so much that David was actually known then as a national hero. That David was one of these people who was looked at and revered by people in the country. That after he experienced this massive success on the battlefield, that David would go back home and crowds would cheer and people would be excited about him. He was a young, muscular, good-looking, guy, right? And he would go back into culture and people would go, there's our guy, there's our warrior, that's him, the one, right, who God, unbeknownst to everybody, had set up to be this future king. There was David. He was the man. But there's a problem because one of the things I've learned about life and you've learned about life along the way is this, there's always a problem. No matter where you go, no matter what you look at, no matter what corner you go around, there's always a problem. Why? Because people are what? People. And there's always a problem. And the problem was this, is that even though David was now revered as this national hero, people were celebrating him and excited about him. The problem was this, is that David was not yet the king is that David, even though he was celebrated and even though he was the one who the crowds were cheering for, David was not yet the king. There was another king in place, a king who God had appointed to be the king, this leader and ruler of Israel long before, and his name was King Saul. So imagine this for a second. We have this guy who we're talking about over here, David, and who's, you know, this national hero. People are excited about him, and then we have King Saul. The one who David reports to, the one who David fights for, his leader, his ruler, the ruler of the time. And now David is the one who culture looks at and goes, that's our guy. Kind of like somebody going to the Olympics and coming home and sweeping all the gold medals and there's parades and celebrations in their honor. And all of a sudden they come home and everybody's excited about what this person has done for the country. Think about that on an exponentially larger level. That is David. That is who he is you were King Saul, how would you feel? Well, look at this. If you have a scripture, you can open it with us to the book of 1 Samuel. Um, If you don't and don't bring that here, that's totally great. You can look at it with us on any mobile device or as always, it will be on our screens here at DHC. 1 Samuel, it says this, chapter 18, verse 7. As they, talking about the Israelites, Saul the king, David this warrior, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. How would you feel if you were Saul? 
oh, well, you know, I only got thousands. I mean, other people are getting tens of thousands. They're revering this guy, David, in front of me, getting tens of thousands. How would you feel? Well, the scripture talks about how Saul felt. Saul was very angry. This refrain, I love that the scripture uses the word refrain, right? This almost chorus of going, David uh, is this massive warrior. We love him tens of thousands. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but only me with thousands, but me only with thousands. Oh, poor me. It's almost like he's pouting, right? That he's gone into a corner and pouted up in his palace. And then it says this, it says, it goes on. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Almost like he's future tripping here, right? And if you don't know what future tripping means, it's a phrase that when you think about the future, you only think about negative things, things that are going to happen, even though this one was going to come to fruition at some point along the way. But Saul was like, man, they're celebrating him. They're not celebrating me. And what's, what's next? Like he's going to take over? Saul was already thinking this. And in this moment, some things started to creep into the heart of Saul. We're going to talk about why in a second. But this king, this leader and ruler of a powerful nation, started to develop emotions that were negative toward this person. Saul was extremely jealous of David. And if you've ever dealt with jealousy in your life based on your jealousy of another person, somebody who might be trying to take over what you have or you think or perceive is taking over what you have, you know how dis, you know, almost distasteful that can be in your life. You know that that can eat you alive and that is very ugly, that that's never a place to live. And the king of Israel was experiencing this. And the scripture promised, because all, just because I'm a, a little bit worried about him, Saul said, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep a close eye on David. I'm gonna, that's what the scriptures. I'm going to keep a close eye on David. Well, Saul didn't just keep a close eye on David. In fact, the scripture details, which we will go into, that Saul sent the Israelite armies, thousands and thousands and thousands of men after David, this warrior, to kill him, to execute him because Saul had had it. He was done no more. He didn't just keep a close eye on him. He went after David right where he was at to wipe him from existence, to wipe him from the earth, to wipe him from the nation of Israel forever. But the scripture talks about why this was, because I started to ask myself the question, why would he do this? Why would this king of Israel pursue this person who's just a soldier, just a warrior? I know people are excited about him, but why? Why did those things creep into his heart? First Samuel talks about this in just a chapter or two before, chapter 16, verse 14. It says this related to Saul. Don't miss this. I'm going to unpack this for a second. Now, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So I just want to go over something with you that's a little bit history here, but I want to give you context for this verse, right? So in the chapter before this, 1 Samuel 15, as Saul, that guy who we're talking about over here, as he was king, God had told him in a moment to do something and to wipe out a group of people known as the Amalekites, okay? God had given Saul the order, wipe them out or they will eventually, you know, cause you a lot of problems. Saul did not listen. Okay? We don't need to go into that story. That's a whole other side of things. But what happened was is Saul in that moment disobeyed God. So Saul lost the favor of God. And somewhere along the way, the spirit of the Lord, the scripture says, had departed from Saul and an evil spirit began to torment him. Now, 
Before we go into this, I just want to tell you, these are the parts of the scripture that people think that someone like me with a microphone has all the answers to. Allow me to tell you, I do not. There are a lot of theories about what this could mean and how we could understand this, but we don't have an exact science to it. In fact, there are many theories about this evil spirit. I mean, what crept into his life? Was it anxiety? Was it depression? Was it emotional dysfunction? Was it jealousy? Was it anger? Was it fear? Was it rage? We don't necessarily know all of what crept in, but we just know that it was there. And that which creeped into his life allowed him to pursue this perceived threat in the name of David more massively than he ever had before. The only thing we know about this evil spirit is this, is that in his life, in Saul's life, who was this, you know, authority figure in the nation of Israel, what happened was his disobedience to God, giving an instruction to do something and Saul not listening, allowed this spirit to enter his life. Now, a lot of times people will ask me today because, you know, everybody does think that people who have one of these microphones on are kind of like a God expert and we love the Lord and we're trying to figure this all out too, but we're just like you, just like people walking through life every single day. In fact, I love when I'm at the gym, I started working out about a year and a half ago. Can you tell I'm busting out of this shirt? Okay. Which is an exciting thing. But what, what, one of the things that's always interesting is people will see me in the gym and our trainers attend this church. And so it's, it's an interesting thing. People will always say to, you know, Hey, is that the guy at the church? I got a question for you, you know, and they'll ask me and I'll go, that's a good one. Will you email me that so I have time to research it? Nobody ever does, thankfully. But anyway, but, but here's, here's the point, right? So we don't have all the answers to this about evil spirits and emotions and all that stuff, but we do know this is that we're not living in the same time that the ancient Israelites were thousands of years ago. So, so people ask me, well, if I disobey God, will an evil spirit enter my life? Like, what, what does it mean? Is this an example for me? And we just feel like there was a much different time thousands of years ago than there is today. It's kind of that new covenant that God sent his son, Jesus, to die so that we could live a new creation, all things new, that we are made new. So we're not under the same authority as the ancient Israelites. Israelites were when the scriptures were written. That's our best understanding of some of these things, okay? But one of the things, and by the way, as we've come up with this content, because me and a couple of the staff, we sit around and come up with this content all the time and bounce it off each other, we came up with this zinger next, which I just think is a real humdinger, if you know what I mean. So sit back and relax, because if this isn't a Christian term, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we're okay with that. So what happened to Saul? Why was he tormented by this? Well, he had a big level in his position, right? We just said this, new levels, new devils. I mean, if that one doesn't deserve a round of applause, I don't know what does around here at the church. Two people clap. That's how bad it is. Anyway, what I want you to know is, okay, is that in his authority, right, in his authority, he was the king. He had a massive position anointed by God. He disobeyed, so he had a bad, bad consequence because of that. That's all that we can understand about this evil spirit. But we do know this. In his life, King Saul, as he saw someone threaten him or a perceived threat of his kingdom, something happened in his heart. Something happened in his life. Saul could no longer control his actions. He could no longer keep it together. 
He no longer had this control that human beings have the ability to have, and we don't know why, but he was filled with something. He was filled with massive rage, massive jealousy, and massive anger, and he was mad, and he was threatened, and he was hostile, and he was paranoid all the time so much that he took the most powerful army, the Israelite army, an army that was conquering nations and people and tribes and land. And he said, forget all that, guys. We're going after a threat to us, the guy by the name of David. He sent armies after David and pursued him for years and years and years and put thousands and thousands of men after this one guy, handsome, good-looking, strong guy, revered by the country who's a threat to him. He said, everybody drop everything. Go find him. Kill him. Get rid of him. Wipe him out because of what Saul dealt with in his own heart. The scripture goes on to detail a very interesting chain of events, which I want you to really zone into because everything I've said thus far was almost history to get us to this point as we think about timing in our life and God's timing in our life as it relates to decisions, things that we want, things that we think should have happened to us, whatever that is for you. We want to talk about that right now because in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it details one of these times when Saul's armies were pursuing David. Here's what it says. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. This is like the people from the military sitting around today and those TV shows you see with the green and red lights or whatever in the middle of the room. They're going, that's where they're at. Go get them. This is the same thing that happened long ago. So Saul, what happened was Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men, don't miss this, near the crags of the wild goats. So I didn't really know where the crags of the wild goats was, so I Googled it, and it's over off 3rd and Andrews, which is an exciting thing over here in Fort Lauderdale. I don't even know if those two roads intersect. Doesn't matter. That's where it's at, okay? And here's what happens, right? He came to some sheep pens along the way. I'm going to read this, then unpack it. A cave was there. Saul went in to go to the toilet. That's in the Bible, okay? I did not make that up. Went in to go to the toilet, okay? Put that vision in your mind for a second, all right? David and his men were far back in the cave. Saul and his armies are pursuing David. They know where he's at. They find him. Saul and his armies, I can see Saul leading the armies and going, all right, stop. I got to take a leak, okay? And sure enough, that's what he did. What he didn't know was, is in the very cave where he went to relieve himself, David and his men were hiding in the cave, ready to attack. It's kind of like this. Imagine an attempted murder happening in a rest area. If you've been on the turnpike north here in, in Florida on the way to Orlando, you know that this is extremely possible in your life here, okay? You've been there. You understand this time. Some of us have been there recently, and you're going, I could get capped right here, taking a leak. I didn't say that, okay? But you feel that a little bit, okay? So here's the deal. Then, the scripture goes on. This is the moment, right? David's men said to him, David, this is it. This is the day the Lord told you about. He said to you, I will hand your enemy over to you. Then you can deal with them as you want to. David, this is it. This is your time. There he is. He has no, he's doing his business. He's, got, he's not interested in the newspaper, not you, okay? He is there. Like, go get him. This is your chance. So the scripture says, David 
came up close to Saul without being seen. Imagine this scene. Two of the most powerful people in all of Israel about to face off. David, knife in hand, ready to kill his most brutal enemy. Comes up behind Saul without being seen. And then in one miraculous example for how to live, even long before our time, something happened. Because David could have pounced and killed his enemy right where he was at. But the scripture says at that moment, he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Knife in hand, he had the chance to just take him out, end this whole thing, forget it. And David chose to just simply cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Saul did not even know. After everything David had been through, after all the tragedy and the emotion that I'm sure went into that, and he pursued him time and time again, David simply cut off a corner of his robe. Later, it says, David felt sorry that he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men who were encouraging, so powerful, don't miss this. He said to his men, may the Lord keep me from doing a thing like that again to my master. Your master? If I was one of David's guys, I'd be like, your master, he's hunting you down. He's coming after you. What are you talking about? He's your enemy. Your master, and David goes on, he is the Lord's anointed king. So I promise that I will never lay my hand on him. The Lord has anointed him. David, it goes on, said this, said that to correct his men. He wanted them to know that they should never suggest harming the king. He didn't allow them to attack Saul. So Saul left the cave and went on his way. Why didn't he kill him? He had the chance. I mean, he obviously had known that he was going to be the next king eventually in some way. Why didn't he kill him? Why wasn't this just what he did when he wanted to do it? He had the opportunity. Why not? And David, because you have to understand David too, as much as David was a warrior, revered of people at the time, David knew he was going to be a king at some point. So David was probably at some way, I can just imagine this prepping in some way in his mind and heart. So David did what any political authority figure would probably do at that point. And Saul had done it. David was about to do it. But David did something that I think we probably all can relate to. David gave a speech, right? And he goes, all right, everybody, listen up. Give me the mic, okay? Wired one, preferably, like we got here to do the announcements at the downtown Harbor Church, okay? David gave a speech. And Saul didn't even know he was there. And he said this. He said, hey, Saul. Saul! May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord pay you back because of the wrong things you've done to me. But I won't do anything to hurt you. It's not my job. It's not on me. It's not the right time. People say evil acts come from those who do evil. So I won't do anything to hurt you. And what I love so much about this, what I love about this and what this represents, because if you've been in church in any length of time or maybe you're having and you're new to the game again and you're trying to figure out spirituality and Christianity and who is Jesus and all those kind of things who walked this earth thousands of years ago, one of the things that is understood about Jesus who told us as you live this earth that it's all about love, love the Lord your God and then go love other people. That was his core message. When Jesus was born and and the prophecy predicted it before he was born. It said that he would come from the house and line of who? David. 
This ancient Israeli king, that's where the Messiah would eventually come from. And sure enough, do you know what I believe was happening here in this moment, which is so powerful that we skip through and don't understand this fully and we need to just embrace this? In this moment, something was happening. This was foreshadowing. This was love right where it was at. David was acting like Jesus before Jesus even existed. Right there. And a lot of us go, we, don't, we miss that just because this is just this powerful moment of a guy using the bathroom and the guy didn't kill him. But this was so key and so important. And you know how we know it was so important because of what happened next. And Saul did something right then because he was overwhelmed with emotion by what David had said. It was this realization that this guy could have murdered me and chose not to. How much faith must he have that I don't have? says this it says and Saul wept out loud you're a better person than I am you've treated me well but I've treated you badly you have just now told me about the good things you did to me the Lord handed me over to you but you didn't kill me you didn't do it David basically in his own heart was like you darn right I didn't do it because it's not my job it's not the right time it's God's timing not mine even though he had the chance. So imagine something for a second. We've been doing a little bit of imagining today, thinking back on our own mind and life. Imagine something. Imagine your worst enemy, right? You probably can think of them pretty clearly, right? Imagine your worst enemy. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody who's wronged you. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but imagine your worst enemy, right? Someone who has done more wrong to you than you could ever forgive. And you're going, this person is wrong to me, and I'm mad, and I don't want to forgive, and, I, and I'm, I'm bitter about it. I'm br- it's brutal, right? More wrong to you than you could ever forgive. Sure enough, it's probably Aunt Mary at the Thanksgiving dinner table who has way too much wine to drink, and you're mad at her every year, and you don't want to see her in about 90 days, but she's coming anyway, okay? So what I want you to know is that even somebody who I have an Aunt Mary and she listens to this and she always calls me afterward and says am I the relative you talk about that drinks too much and I said yes you are okay anyway every holiday Mary okay anyway so we love you Mary okay think about this person in your life here's the deal they probably didn't pursue you with armies for years probably don't have the means to do that sure enough you'd probably because someone has wronged you like to see harm brought to them. It's human nature. Man, I would love them to get theirs. Love it. God is God. You are not. I am not. Allow things to happen in God's timing, not yours. And this is a difficult thing to understand. A lot of people, and I'll talk, I'm going to unpack this for a second. A lot of times people will come up to me and ask me, how do I know what God's timing is for my life? How do I know as I seek after him and his will for my life that I determine what it should be and when I should act? And my response is always this. I would love you to put that right here in your mind. And the next time my friend John Garippa speaks, when he gets off stage, ask him because he has those answers for you, okay? No. The truth is, is that we don't know the answer. It's what makes this so cool. So it makes us all on a journey together of figuring things out and walking through life together. As we all kind of lock arms and go, we don't have it all figured out. And a lot of us in here are very close and we know each other and we're going, we just got to work, walk through life together. Furthermore, with this, I just want to say this because this is so representative of a lot of us in life. We a lot of things that got uh, happen in God's timing, not ours, especially with authority. 
right? A lot of times we hate our boss. We hate people in charge of us. We're like, I'm going to take them out, okay? Especially with authority. Saul was a prime example of this. And David showed us what to do, allow God to take care of it. So, so here's a question. This is going to get really personal for a second. So just stay with me because this is so powerful and key and, and emotional. First service, we had an awesome first service today. Um, a lot of, just a, a side note, a lot of people will ask me as they hear about DHC, hey, you guys are a couple year old church plant. Why do you do two services? It's, it's very simple because we believe that our volunteers should have an opportunity to attend church and go to church. So we had an awesome 9 a.m. today and people were downstairs serving with your kids and in the parking lot and all those things right now. And People like to come early and all, it's great, but we had an awesome time, but this was really impactful at 9 a.m., so don't miss this. The question related to God's timing and what we can learn from the life of David right here today, right now is this. What is this representative of in your life? Because odds are you don't have the opportunity with a knife in hand to take out a king. Maybe you are in some type of secret group I don't know about, and sometime you're going to be shipped off. That would be cool, right? If you tell me about it, let's have coffee, but you're probably not. But what's this representative of in your life? Just a nickel's worth of free advice. And, and by the way, I don't know much. I just know a couple of things. And I try to just let some folks know about them when I do. Here, here's the truth. Do not make any major life decisions until you consult God. Try to avoid that. I'm not saying where you should go for dinner or, you know, should I have this? There are minor things, fine. But, but if you're going to make a major life decision, things that will have ripple effects and impact you, try to, try to give it weight. Try to give it thought. Try to give it process. Try to give it prayer. Try to give it meditation. I began meditating recently for the first time. What a cool thing. I can't sit still for long enough, but what a cool thing. Is it like, you know, really, it's just it's awesome. Don't try to do that. Really, it's a cool thing, right? So what are some practical things that this could mean for you? Consulting God before you make a decision that you shouldn't because it's your timing and not his. The first one is this, quitting your job too soon. Some of us have been in careers for a long time, years, and we're just fired up. We're going, I'm done with this, throwing in the towel, boom, done. A lot of us have been there, right? I know a lot of people down here in the airline industry. I don't know if you've met people down here in the airline industry, but I got to tell you, I've met a lot of flight attendants and pilots. I've met a lot of fed up people, which is interesting. I'm done with American and Delta, right? I hear that a lot, but, but, but think about that, right? Make sure you consult with God about making those big decisions. Maybe it's your timing and not his. What does that look like? Forcing a relationship that might not be there. Maybe you are so desperate to be married that you're just like, you know what? I'm going to try to be married even though I'm really not in love with this person, but we're going to try to make this work. Let me know how that goes, okay? Because I've talked to some folks along the way, and it just hasn't really gone pretty, okay? But you want to consult God. Don't force something that isn't there. Make sure it's his timing and not yours. Another one is this, is the ending a relationship too soon. Whether you're dating or you're married and you've been married for a long time, I've met with couples and counseled with couples and, and, and been in situations where people are like, I'm just ready to throw in the towel and give up. Really? And I've met with people about a lot of silly reasons. And my constant question is, are you ready to have the same problems with somebody else? Because you're just ready to throw in the towel because we're rash. We make decisions on our timing and not God. Here's one that I've heard that is just so powerful. A lot of people deal with this. A lot of people think that their marriage is kind of on the rocks. I know what we'll do. Like that light bulb going off. Ding. Okay, I know what we'll do, right? Let's have a baby. That'll make it better, okay? You ever heard people talk about that? I have lots of times. How about having a baby too soon? 
You ever been there where people are going, man, they're going to all fix the problem as soon as they come out and we're going to be in love again. And oh, it's twins. Yay. Ooh, okay. I mean, you laughing because you've been there and you know people like that. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. If you consult to God, maybe you, maybe you want to think about this relationship a little before you do that. But it, truth is, is a lot of time we put it in our timing and it shouldn't be in our timing. So at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put a word on the screen. We put a word on the screen that will hopefully help us understand what we learn on Sunday and put it directly into practice in our lives on Monday. And here's the word. It's practical. What's the practical for this message? What's the practical that we can learn from the life of David and this incident between David and Saul right here today? The practicals are powerful, so don't miss those. Don't miss out. Here's the first one. As you think about things, as you make decisions, as you process in your life, don't jump the gun on decisions. Don't jump the gun. Take your, I'm not saying it's even the wrong decision, right? But consult God. Let it be in his timing, not yours, especially if it's a major call in your life. Because I've seen a lot of people go, oh, I made a decision, and I got to take that one back. That was stupid. Why did I do that? Right? Don't jump the gun on decisions. David could have very easily pounced on King Saul and killed him right where he was at. But he said, mm, not the right time. It's not my job. Don't jump the gun on decisions. You know, one of the things that I love to talk about at DHC, and you'll hear us talk about this a lot. We did a message series on this a couple of years ago, was the fruits of the spirit. It's the idea that when you say yes to following after Jesus, that some things come into your life that you just naturally have. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I memorized that like when I was 12. I still remember it, which is kind of cool, right? I look at the achievements in my life right here on this stage. I'm really proud. Okay, here's the deal. There's one that I believe to be the most difficult. Out of every single thing that I just rattled off, there's one that's the most difficult. It's number four. It's this, patience. I hate that one. Some of you do too. Exhibit patience. It doesn't happen overnight. It may take you a long time. It may take you days, weeks, months, years. It's okay. Being patient is what we have to do. And then we have to understand God's timing. And I don't know how to tell you how to do that. I don't have an answer of how to do that. All I know is, is that if you do, things will be better in your life. Things will be different. You'll be more peaceful. The decisions that you make will be more sound. David's were, and we can learn from him, one of the most famous people in the history of humanity. One of the guys that had been in my life previously as a leader always used to say something, right? I, I kind of felt like this guy who I knew kind of walked around with a book of quotes in his back pocket. Most of them were bogus, but there was a couple that stuck, okay? And there was one that, in fact, you know, I thought about writing my own book of quotes. Anybody ever written a book of quotes? I bounced this idea off my buddy one time, and he said, this sounds more like an argument with your wife than a book of quotes. And I said, well, we'll, we'll table that idea for a second. Anyway, one of these guys actually had this quote that I just thought stuck, and I just never forgot it throughout my entire life, and it was this. The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. 
going, I don't want to jump the gun. I don't want to do things that I regret. I don't want to make mistakes, right? I want to see the best in people. I want to do things that are sound. I want to put one foot forward. I want to make sound and wise decisions. I want to be patient when I need to. I want to understand that this universe, this life, this massive world that I get to live in is bigger than me, is bigger than this moment, is bigger than here and now. That's what God allows us to do through the trials, through the bad times, through the good times. God is present. God is there. He will help you make decisions. He will guide you in life if you let him but so often we're so quick to go man i'm just gonna do it because i'm mad i'm gonna do it because i'm happy i'm gonna do it because i think it's the right time whatever that emotion is pull the trigger this is a journey it's gonna take a while it's gonna take determination wait on god's timing it might take you even a long time to wait because it's better than yours if you don't believe me, try it. I guarantee it. It's one of the very few things that I'll guarantee in life that God's timing is always better than yours. I just waited four years to move into a new house, okay? You want to talk about patience that I bought four years ago, which is exciting, though. Now we get to see it. And you know what? We learned so much along the way. What was he trying to teach us along the way that we didn't know? That's what you need to understand and grasp is that even though you're frustrated, even though you're mad, even though you're happy, even though you want to pull a trigger, what are you missing out on by not waiting for him? What will you learn along the way? Who will you meet along the way? That's the point. That's the key. Wait on God's timing. It's better than yours. Let me pray for us. Father, for who you are, God, we love you. We thank you. We're so thankful for your presence in our lives. God, I know that there are people here today who are struggling with this. I believe that you put people in this room right here, right now, to speak to them right where they're at as they struggle through things, decisions, family members, just things that have roughed us up. And I pray that you would help each one of us to wait for your time, whatever that looks like, whatever it is. And God, it's one of the most difficult things that we'll ever do to understand it. But I pray for your grace in our lives as we would process that and attempt to do it so that we could seek after you with all that we do. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.